Shabbat here in the Atlantic time zone. I think it's uh, dawning on the Shabbat uh, probably in Florida, and you're still about uh, a day away, uh, I would expect, uh, out there uh, as a refugee from Folsom, right, uh, Kirk? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're heading out. But again. Yeah, you hear uh, Kirk's voice. He sounds like Johnny Cash and Folsom Blues. Uh, uh. Kirk, I never thought I would say this before, uh, um, uh, but... Uh, you really need to up the advertising and send uh, Elon Musk more money. He he is fleeing poverty. Poor thing. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, today we are uh, uh, for tonight's program. We are promoting it in the United States. First time we've been in the United States in a while. Um, but uh, uh, Elon Musk is the new chief twit. I sent out a company-wide email and had a. Uh, yeah, I never thought of calling uh, Trump uh, Elon Musk a twit either. I actually, uh, well, but, yeah, Elon Musk is a guy that uh, any sane person is going to both love and hate. Respect him for his uh, brilliance sure. and the things that he's achieved, and then also uh, wonder what in the world the guy's thinking about. He, you know, spends forty-four billion dollars buying Twitter, and the first company-wide email he sends out says, you know, it might not survive the year. Uh, so you kind of wonder. Uh, now. This is the, the the thing that I was hoping was that if he did buy Twitter, that it would be the last bastion of free speech on the uh, internet mm-hmm. because the uh, the um, oh the Gestapo of uh, of what you can and cannot say uh, the thought police are running rampant every place else. But this is what the FTC had to uh, say uh, today. The FTC said in a statement. Thursday, I guess that was yesterday, that it is tracking mm-hmm. recent developments at Twitter with deep concern. No CEO or company is above the law, and companies must follow our consent decrees, said the God of the U.S. government, or said the My agency God. in a statement. Our revised constant content order gives us new tools to ensure compliance, and we are prepared to use them. 
Boy, what happened to the Constitution? I, I don't think the Gestapo. I mean, seriously, you know, you're you're never supposed to make comparisons to the Nazis because that's considered just a a low uh, a low blow. But trust me on this one: the Nazis were not that belligerent. Yeah, we are tracking no. developments with deep concern. No CEO or company is above the law, and companies must follow our consent decrees said the agency statement. Our revised consent order gives us new tools to ensure compliance, and we are prepared to use them. Wow. Who are these people? (laughs) That's truly truly astonishing, is it not? Um, Yeah. yeah. The... uh, Vatican uh, is uh, mm-hmm. is having uh, troubles again. Uh, there's a picture of a smirking uh, cardinal uh, wearing his uh, little uh, red uh, beanie and dressed in his religious uh, garb, uh, black <laughs> other than the uh, the red. Very looking, very Roman of him. Uh, he is uh, it's now been revealed that uh, eleven former and uh, um, they're mostly French bishops plus this uh, now cardinal have been accused of uh, sexual assault on uh, children uh, under yes. their care. Uh, gotta love the Catholic Church, huh? Uh, yeah, not a fan. <laughs> not a fan. Uh, there's a woman, her name is Nadia Murad. Uh, she uh, was uh, a Yazidi woman and uh, girl, I guess, in the uh, Islamic uh, State uh, areas of of Syria and Iraq, was held hostage, enslaved, tortured, and raped by uh, the good religious, uh, upstanding religious uh, people of Islam. Islam is such a lovely religion when it comes to the treatment of women. Uh, she uh, won a, uh, the 2018 Nobel Prize uh, for uh, standing up against these kinds of abuses, and she says that the genocide against women is still... Uh, in high gear all the way across the Islamic uh, occupied territories uh, in the Middle East. You know, it's amazing that the UN now is holding anti-Israel hearings and yet they don't ever have a hearing against violence against women in the Muslim world. It is a pure hypocrisy. Uh, Joe Biden uh, sweeping a, a blue wave that, uh, that uh, sunk Trump's hopes for a return um, boy, that red wave never uh, materialized. Uh, the uh, Republicans no. had a about a 95% chance of controlling uh, one house uh, or the other, and uh, may end up with uh, with neither. It is uh, it's truly astonishing how uh, badly they got shellacked. Uh, it is uh, yep. likely that the uh, the primary culprit is uh, progressive young women, women under 30, who are mm-hmm. uh, exceedingly liberal which means they have no experience, they have uh, no understanding of, uh, of anything uh, historic, uh, and they're unable or unwilling to exercise uh, reason, voted uh, uh, something in the range of 95% in favor of, uh, of unrestricted abortions, and therefore for the Democratic candidate. And uh, they are saying, um, you need to listen to us. It's a frightening. Uh, what has uh, happened to uh, this country. I am no, uh, uh, no fan of either political party, but I do know that at this present time, 
uh, what uh, Joe Biden and his Democrats have done have been catastrophic. Uh, it, is a, it is a very odd position that we're in and that uh, we are telling the world that it's on the cusp of falling apart, that the United mm-hmm. States needs right. to exist as we know it, and that's going to happen in fairly short order, that there's going to be world war, there's going to be anarchy, uh, economies are going to completely collapse, uh, your currency is going to be worth nothing. Uh, that is where we're headed. Anti-Semitism is going to uh, become a true. Yeah. And, and so this is what Yahweh has said is going to occur. It is going to occur at an extreme rate uh, in the midpoint of the time of trouble, which begins right around Passover in uh, 2030. But uh, so many things are going to speed up in terms of, their, uh, of the hellish conditions we're going to experience here on Earth beginning in uh, 2029. Uh, It is even likely that the UN resolution that is the basis of the two-state solution, I put that in uh, in, uh, quotes because it is really the final solution. It is death to Israel. Uh, That it will be imposed as as early as uh, the fall of 2026. It's only four years away. The midpoint of the, the, the tribulation and if it's at uh, uh, 2030, uh, what, eight years away. So um, we're right there at the cusp of it. So when I say that we're in an interesting position, um, we know what's going to happen. And actually, the faster things begin to deteriorate, like uh, this uh, foolish war in uh, Ukraine with the United States uh, essentially using Ukraine is a proxy to fight a war with Russia. Uh, is the inevitable conclusion of this war is a nuclear holocaust? And the yep. parties that started it know that's the case, uh, and yet sure they, they were willing to, to do it uh, nonetheless. It's um, the effects of COVID changed the world forever uh, because of the stupidity of the uh, of the lockdowns, uh, of depriving people of livelihood and liberty. It completely destroyed what was left of the U.S and other world currencies and put many countries on the brink of uh, bankruptcy. Uh, this uh, situation that we find ourselves in is, is that the U.S. prediction of worldwide collapse is imminent. And so when we see bad choices made, as they were in this uh, last election, we, uh, uh, we have to say, well, that's exactly what we were told. Part of the court. Yeah. 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 We, we should be expecting to have an anti-Israel president of the United States. Uh, Joe Biden, yep. which I call work weekend at uh, Barney's, uh, Bernie's, uh, you know, Bernie. his big thing that if you vote uh, Democratic, you're voting to save democracy. And, of course, the young uh, women uh, progressives that, uh, that voted uh, came out and said, yeah, we save democracy. Aren't we special? Uh, <laughs> democracy, by the way, is not worth saving. But nonetheless, uh, he uh, tried the same line on uh, at the uh, uh, COPA 27 um, conference uh, in uh, Egypt. Uh, he uh, said that uh, uh, the very life of the planet is at stake. The very life of the planet. Now, he's putting the lives of the people on the planet at risk with his stupidity in the Ukraine. Uh, but... The life of this planet is not at risk, and man does not hold the very life of the planet 
in his hands. There is nothing humans can do that is going to extend the life of the planet. We are in a global warming trend. We've been in it since 1850. Uh, it is a long trend that has goes back every 600 years to uh, before recorded history. In fact, it goes back millions of years. And the warmer the earth becomes, the healthier people become. There's usually about a one and a half to two percent swing to the maximum to to the least number. Uh, we'll never come to the peak this time because the world's going to end as we know it. Uh, we're going to hasten it with a nuclear winter anyway, with uh, a nuclear exchange. Uh, so we really don't have to worry about that, uh, Mr. Biden. But it is interesting to see him say something as stupid as the very life of the planet is at stake, as if he's going to be our planetary uh, savior. I, uh, yeah. I don't think so. Uh, speaking of, uh, of sexual perversity, one of the things that Yahweh rails against the rabbis for, uh, the National Religious Rabbis are now urging a probe of sex abuse allegations against Rabbi Taw. Uh, he is uh, one of the chief rabbis of the uh, Herodim. Uh, you can see his uh, picture if you uh, Google it. Uh, he is uh, the poster child of how ugly uh, religion can make a person. Um, so I would uh, I would encourage you to see what a sexual pervert looks like when they dress up and play uh, Jewish religion. I am um, I've told everyone uh, Kirk and everyone uh, Kirk and and D before the show began that um, I'm doing my penance now. I'm uh, back in Babylon. I never seemed to be able to get out of it. I spent you know a month or so translating uh, Daniel in Babylon it was a hellacious experience. Uh, uh, Daniel is never going to be one of my buddies, I'll tell you that for sure. And then you jump into that uh, and you go to Ezekiel, who's also in Babylon, and he's almost as bad as Daniel. And so it is, uh, it is troubling. Mm, that's but bad. One of the things that you, you, if you can hold your nose and put up with Ezekiel, one of the things you hear over and over again is just how disgusted Yahweh is with uh, the Jewish religion. He calls it Toabah appalling, repulsive, disgusting. Uh, it is, uh, uh, from his point of view, the very thing that has uh, harmed his people more than anything else. Uh, I want to say a couple other things uh, before we uh, get back to our, um, our Torah presentation. Uh, the mm -hmm. uh, fellow name is Sharm el-Sheikh, uh, well, from Sharm el-Sheikh, Egypt, I should say. The um, a fellow uh, that is now calling himself the accountability chief is a former Grenadian politician. His name is uh, Simone Steele. Now, can you imagine being a former Grenadian politician and think that you're such a big shot that you can declare yourself the accountability chief because he is a uh, uh, chairing the UN uh, climate change conference? But nonetheless, that's his deal. Now, what I said about global, the claims about global warming and climate change, I think I made these statements uh, probably 15 years ago, uh, that with the, with the um, war on terror fizzling, because they could never disclose that the enemy was Islam, uh, and they continued to make a bad situation worse, that because of that wasn't sufficient, to galvanize people to such that they would be afraid enough 
to give up their property, their uh, their freedoms, um, their prosperity, uh, to uh, give control to those who wanted to play um, a global Robin Hood, to take from the rich and to give to the poor. In other words, to punish success and reward failure. That is precisely what the uh, Paris Agreements, as well as the uh, United Nations uh, Conference on the on climate is doing. Uh, the UN's annual change conference, climate change conference, now has the uh, uh, the dignitary saying the West must pay the G20 countries in particular. They're responsible for 75% of the carbon emissions. So to ensure climate justice, we must uh, transfer billions of dollars to uh, poor African countries that are still living in tents. I mean, the only reason that they haven't polluted the planet is that they weren't capable of doing anything that would be considered uh, detrimental to the planet in terms of fossil fuels. They're still burning wood. Uh, last item in the news is uh, that uh, Qatar uh, bribed their way uh, to uh, win the, uh, the FIFA World Cup, um, uh, 22 World Cup. And after bribing their way to it, uh, they've killed 6,500 migrant workers building the facilities. 6,500 migrant workers, and there is no remorse whatsoever. And mm. it doesn't seem to be a bit of concern on behalf of uh, the FIFA committee uh, or uh, anybody in the world to say, this is what happens if you give up your rights and you're so desperate that you will go to work in an Islamic country. The Muslims consider them worthless. They're nothing but slaves to them. Uh, and they die. In fact, they're treated better in Qatar by a long shot than they are in places like Saudi Arabia or Kuwait, where the dictators are even more disgusting. All right, speaking of disgusting, uh, we're going to uh, turn here in a moment to the uh, uh, ultra-Orthodox view of the Battle of Gog and Magog, because we were tracking through uh, the, uh, the various places where Yahweh speaks of the remaining conflicts that are going to engulf the, uh, the world. And one of them, of course, is uh, in Ezekiel. And the reason that I'm translating Ezekiel now as of, of this uh, evening, I'm just beginning the 12th chapter of Ezekiel. Uh, and it's funny that... Uh, that Ezekiel, the prophecies we've uncovered thus far in Ezekiel are much more important than identifying the culprits of the Magog War. But um, it's, it is something that we're going to pursue because it isn't entirely clear whether or not there is going to be one prolonged war during the time of trouble or two wars. Mm-hmm. You know, Ezekiel's okay. war is the Magog War. Uh, it's uh, fought in the Jezreel Valley, which is why it came up in our review of Hosha. Uh, the final bat- battle is uh, by uh, Har Megiddo, uh, which is in the southwestern part of the Jezreel Valley. Uh, so 
we don't know if that's the the name of the beginning of the war, and then it uh, goes and envelops uh, Jerusalem itself, or if the Jerusalem conflict is more symbolic, and this is really the war. Uh, so we'll we'll continue to translate Ezekiel and and Yirmiyah and uh, and. Uh, Yoel has a lot to say about it, Zachariah and Yashaya, uh, to answer that in, uh, in due time. And right now, as I say, I'm uh, working on volume 10 of Yada Yawa. And speaking of that, uh, volume 9 is now published. It's on the uh, bookshelf of, uh, of uh, yadayah.com. Uh, thank you, David, for getting it up so quickly. It's available now yeah. at Amazon for those who wish to purchase it. And uh, Hart, our softback, thank you for Jackie. Uh, and the edit team for doing uh, their part. Um, it is, uh, um, you know, primarily a review of Daniel. Uh, and so for those who have, are curious as to why Daniel has been such a misunderstood book for so long, uh, I think you'll find it interesting. Um, I'm sure that, they, that readers will be penned to their, their seats as uh, they read the opening chapter and uh, uh, and consider my assessment of the first six chapters of Daniel. And then also, uh, uh, once again, as they read through the ninth chapter and try to uh, ascertain what was really said, who was saying it, and what they were really predicting. Because it's very different than what is promoted uh, by uh, eschatologists. So anyway, that's, that is now complete, and we're, uh, we've jumped right back into hell and are continuing our review of the prophets <laughs> of Babylon. Uh, where we left off last week is uh, to say that while we're going to keep an open mind and we're going to go where God's words lead, a cursory review of the prophets indicates that there will be either two wars or one war with uh, a symbolic conclusion, uh, and that the wars could well have different belligerents. The Magog War uh, will occur first, uh, and it will be resolved at Megiddo. Uh, then as we reproach the end of time as we know it, there may be a final battle which will transpire around Jerusalem. The Heredi uh, pine for the return of their warrior Messiah to protect and exonerate uh, these uh, undeserving of either. Uh, but otherwise, the rabbis do not seem to care any more about these prophecies than anything else Yahweh conveyed. In their defense, that is what one would expect, since their future with God is uh, more dire than their past. Um, I was uh, sharing with uh, Dee and Kirk before the, the program began this evening that uh, one of the last sections that I translated, uh, I guess it was yesterday, uh, was Ezekiel, I believe it is, 9, uh, where Yahweh is uh, saying that uh, there's going to be uh, six individuals. They report to, uh, to Dode, and they, they're tasked with, uh, with two things. One is uh, surveying uh, all of the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And they're to place what appears to be the Messiah's mark on the forehead of those who are disgusted by religion and politics. Those who just find the rabbis and uh, the 
politicians of uh, both sides of the spectrum revolting. They get the Messiah's mark. Uh, they're not touched. But everybody else is, uh, is killed. Uh, that's how disgusted God is uh, with what Judaism has done to Jews. Uh, and it's, it is a, it's a tough read. And, and you read it uh, if you're not exceedingly familiar with what Yahweh's overall promises are. Uh, and what he said he would do and when he said he would do it, you're going to read that and say, wait a minute, you're killing women and children and, and uh, the political leaders and virgins and toddlers and everybody else. And when um, Ezekiel saw it, he did a nose plant and then started weeping. And then uh, Billy ached to Yahweh. Well. Mm. Wrong, 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 wrong. That's the only adult in the room. He's doing what a father should do. And that is ultimately for your children and your family to be safe, you have to rid your home of the pest that would kill them. Um, you know, we even get to the point where Ezekiel is bemoaning the death of one of the two people that Yahweh said, he is the man who is personally responsible for poisoning my family. And when he dies... Uh, uh, Ezekiel says, oh, my God, aren't you going to devalue yourself by killing every Jew? Mm. And, and I say it's his response is similar to somebody. Well, let's pretend that Hitler really was Jewish and some uh, rabbi coming out and, and saying, I think we need to throw a funeral for him and and uh, and then uh, cry on his behalf. It's like saying that, uh, that it's not fair that somebody decided to eradicate the, the rats and the fleas that caused the bubonic uh, plague uh, because, well, there's some virgin rats and some young rats and they don't deserve to die. Now, I pointed out as I was doing this that there have been 175 generations of Jews yeah. since the Torah was revealed, and not one of them has responded appropriately to Yahweh. Why would the last one be any different? Don't you think there's a reason why Yahweh said this is not a good time as we approach the very end, uh, say in the range of 2029, 2030? It's just said, don't bear children. This is not a good time to have children. Don't do it. I think he said it for a reason. Yeah. Those children are not going to have enough time, even if they were being told the truth to uh, know how to respond to, uh, to Yahweh. Well, <clears throat> this is what um, the ultra-Orthodox Jews, uh, the organization that I copied this from is Chabad. Chabad is the voice of the Herodim. Uh, they are, well, they call themselves the uh, most influential voice uh, of uh, Jews worldwide. Uh, and their presentation entitled the Battle of Gog and Magog, uh, this is what they had to say. The prophet Ezekiel, chapters 38 and 39, describes a climactic battle that will be instigated by Gog and or Magog and will be waged against Israel and G-D. Uh, well, just to be clear here, uh, it's not G-D, it, it is Yahweh. Uh, and if you can't say his name, you don't know him and shouldn't be speaking for him. And it isn't Gog and or Magog. His Gog is the leader of the Magog Federation. Uh, 
The defeat of Gog and Magog will precipitate the messianic redemption. It is difficult to dwell on this topic because it is so shrouded in mystery. We are uncertain as to the identity of Gog and Magog, and whether Gog and Magog are the names of nations or individuals, whether this battle will be a physical or a spiritual battle, and even whether it has already occurred or not. Boy, to be uh, called sages, they don't seem to know very much. (laughs) According to tradition, read the Talmud, the central personality in this war is Moshiach, Ben Yosef. Uh, and then Moshiach, they say, is of the tribe of Joseph. Oh, Where did they get that is notion? Is there a tribe of Joseph? <laughs> yeah, the tribe of Joseph. Uh, Jewish tradition <laughs> speaks of two redeemers, each one called Moshiach. This sounds a lot like uh, uh, the Zohar where there's uh, two uh, opposing, both equal opposing sides of uh, Satan and, uh, and he who shall not be named. So good and bad, Moshiach. Both are involved in ushering in the Messianic era. No, I can tell you. There's only one. Masiach. It's not Moshe. It's Masiach that is uh, going to be ushering in the this era. It's not actually the Messianic era either. Uh, it is the kingdom of Dode, and it is eternal. And there is but one Messiah in this regard. His name is Dode. And it says they are Moshiach ben David and Moshiach ben David. So the Messiah son of David and the Messiah son of Yosef. No. Oh my goodness. The Messiah is God. And by the way, you don't have a B in the Hebrew alphabet, so it can't be David. No. No. Moshiach ben Yosef will be killed in the war. Oh, poor, poor, poor Yosef uh, against Gog and Magog. I guess he is not much of a Moshiach then. No, not much. Again, it is unclear whether the death will be in physical battle or as a result of the spiritual battles, which he will wage against the forces of evil. Either way, the prophet Zechariah 12.10 describes the national mourning that will follow his death. Apparently, though, the death of Moshiach ben Yosef is not inevitable. The master Kabbalist Rabbi Isaac Luria, known as the Erezal, said when saying in Amadah, the words, speedily establish the throne of your servant, David, one should beseech, G-D, that Moshiach ben Yosef should not die in the course of his struggles. Say what? How, How do you get from one point to another? And why, if you're trying to understand something in the prophets of Yahweh, would you not quote Yahweh, but instead... Quote a rabbi. The Kabbalist, yeah. Apparently, though, <laughs> the death is not inevitable. According to certain sources, rabbis rather than Yahweh, Moshiach ben Yosef will serve as Moshiach ben David's viceroy. 
thus finally bringing an end to the schism between the northern ten tribes, which were ruled by Joseph's descendants, and the kingdom of Judea, which was ruled by the Davidic dynasty. Yeah, not so much. Uh, and they can't tell if that's happened yet. That's yes. so bizarre. Yeah, yeah. yeah and uh, have you ever considered reading the book of uh, Jeremiah? <laughs> Jeremiah? Ever considered turning just to the 31st chapter and see what right. God says about the reconciliation of Israel and Yehudah? Mm-hmm. When it's going to occur, why it's going to occur, what's going to be different once it occurs? He spelled it all out for you. Do you not care what God has to say? Some say that Elijah will arrive before the war of Gog and Magog, while others say he will arrive three days prior to the revelation of Moshiach. <laughs> I'm here to tell you, um, Elia is going to arrive oh, yeah. on, uh, on Pesach in 2030. And uh, the Moshiach, Dod, is going to arrive on the Day of Reconciliations, Kippurim, October 2nd and 2033. Uh, it's very easy to do the math on these events. As a matter of fact, uh, Daniel 9, Dode himself, who is Gabriel. Gabriel means the strong uh, and empowered, the most capable uh, individual and the most courageous individual on behalf of uh, God is what uh, Gabriel means. That is Dode. Uh, Gabriel is the one who specifically told us uh, when he is going to return and uh, when there would be the birth of, uh, of replacement theology, which is designed to undermine uh, his uh, credibility and his role in uh, our restoration. So one would have thought that over the course of the past 2,000 years, at least one rabbi would have done what we have done and what we continue to do. Why not study Yahweh's revelations word for word, comparing what he says on this topic to everything else he has conveyed on the same subject? We may not answer every question, but we will not be left wondering when Elia is going to return, nor will we promote such nonsense of tradition and speculate on the apprentices of the Mosiach ben Yosef, serving as a son of Dode, if it were not for the fact that the souls of many millions of Jews have been poisoned by this vomit, we could simply write this off as the blind, leading the visually impaired. I will acknowledge one thing the rabbis got right, however. They have correctly ascertained that Yahweh uh, is not uh, intervening on behalf of Israelites or because Jews deserve it, but instead to redeem his good name, recognizing that it has been tarnished by its association with Israel. Similarly, Roman Catholics and other Orthodox uh, denominations of uh, Christianity don't much like what Yahweh says of them, their fate or his plans for Israel. And they are less interested in the Old Testament than the Jews whom claim they have, uh, the Jews that they claim to have replaced. Then, of course, there is the problem of Daniel revealing that the Roman Catholic Church is the worst and final iteration 
of Babylon. It is, uh, of course, most interesting when you read um, prophets uh, like Yeshaya, Hosha, Yermaya, um, even Ezekiel. Uh, mm-hmm. And you find that there is a growing number of blacks out there that are, are uh, aligning their faith with the black Hebrew Israelites, uh, as if uh, they are now, the, oh, they're the true Jews, and the real Jews are just fakes. Have they not read what the prophets say? No one in their right mind wants to identify themselves with Israel. What God has to say about Israel and them being toabah, repulsive, that their religion is disgusting and that virtually every one of them is going to be wiped out. And there's only going to be a very tiny remnant who is decidedly anti-religious that will be saved. To claim that you are them is to say, God hates me. It's just ridiculous. Be careful what you wish for. Listen, being Jewish is, uh, is good in the sense that Jews are God's chosen people. But since the Torah has been revealed, you can count the number of Jews who have had a productive relationship with Yahweh, uh, you know, on two hands and two feet. I'm not sure there's been 20. That's how rare it is. Among Goyim, the numbers are about the same, maybe worse. So be really careful when you say, this is who we are. First of all, you're wrong. And second of all, it's not good. Undaunted, Protestants and evangelicals have sought to interpret uh, and mistranslate statements from the Old Testament through the lens of Revelation, a trend that was popularized by Hal Lindsey's The Late Great Planet Earth. Fortunately, the process used is similar to those who conspiracies. They misappropriate and errantly interpret a tiny fraction of what's been provided while ignoring the rest of the evidence because it doesn't fit with their preconceived notions and it is caustic to their religious beliefs. If you look at Yahweh's testimony as a whole, while he gives us enormous amount of details of what's going to happen between now and his return, it is Yahweh who's returning, not Jesus. Jesus was the Passover lamb. It's even if you know his name, its name was really Yosha. Who's the Passover lamb? Passover lamb never comes back to life. Defeats the entire purpose. It's Dode who is returning, and it's with Yahweh. So as a Christian, you're, and really, uh, yeah, out of luck. Uh, and as a Jew, it's Dode who is returning with Yahweh, and you, you won't say his name, and you don't admit that Dode is the Messiah. You're out of luck, too. It is tragic that with all of these prophecies, speaking of Yahweh coming back for his people, for Yisrael and Yahudah, to reestablish his existing covenant, not a new one, and to do so by writing his Torah guidance inside of us, not switching to a New Testament, not switching to the Talmud. The religious are done. 
And it's all there. So how can somebody, and I knew Hal Lindsey, nice fellow, but how can he write such rubbish? All that God had to say. It's um, unfathomable. And why would you pretend to speak on behalf of a God whom you're unwilling to go where his words lead? There is a considerable hullabaloo regarding Gog and the Islamic scriptures as well. This is because Muhammad bought Talmud readings from the rabbis and Yathrib to make his Quran appear credible. And the rabbis had written of Gog, considering himself a messianic figure and loving war. He was drawn to their commentary on Ezekiel. His bastardization of their accounts are among the most laughable in the Quran, as well as the Hadith. And that's saying something. Yeah. These, myths, yeah, these myths reveal, let's stay focused on Yahweh's declaration through Hosha, knowing that we will return to the Jezreel Valley in due time. All right, opening the second chapter of Hosha, we find that the descendants of Jacob had bonded, but it was with one another rather than God. Say to your brothers, my people, and to your sisters, she could have loved and been kind. Rebuke, quarreling, and contending with your mother, prosecute, filing a complaint, for she is not my woman, neither am I her man. Let her, therefore, turn away from her illicit and illegitimate relationships, her idolatry and whoring, such that they are away from her presence with her unfaithfulness from the way she perceives her breasts. Hosha 2.2. Otherwise, I will strip her naked, exposing her. I will present her as the day she was born, causing her to be akin to a lifeless and barren place of questionable words. I will make her similar to the parched earth, such that she dies of thirst. Let's be clear, because God has gone out of his way to be clear. When Yahweh speaks of whoredom and idolatry and of prostitutes and of illicit relationships, he's talking about religion. Mm -hmm. And when he's talking to his people about religion, he's speaking of Judaism. And listen, I understand that Judaism has about 18,000 cults, almost as many as they have political parties. And that, you know, even the Haredim are not monogamous. There's Haredim in, in New York that have their group of rabbis. There's those in Ukraine that have theirs. There's those in Israel that have theirs. They're, they're all over the board. And then there's Reformed Jews and conservative Jews and ultra-Orthodox ultra Jews and Zionist Jews and progressive Jews and conservative Jews. They're just, they come in every flavor imaginable. So let's just say that the Jewish propensity to be religion, religious is what God despises and what he equates to prostitution. 
uh, Jewish religious leaders are the highest paid religious leaders in the world. They make on average about 300% more than any other religious leaders. That's a lot more. And they make a lot more by making life difficult and expensive for Jews. And so they're making money by selling their faith, just as a prostitute um, sells feigned love for money. So he uses this metaphor, and he's going to use it throughout Hosha. And every time we read of harlotry and idolatry and of whoring, um, we should read religion. And so the reason Yahweh viewed Israel as not his woman, that he was not their individual, uh, that they had been unfaithful, that they were feigning love, feigning devotion, selling their religion for money, is because he was disgusted by Judaism. It's over and over again. It can't be missed. If you have open eyes, you cannot miss it. And, and be careful here because, well, yeah, well, has more to say against Judaism than any other religion by a long shot because it affects his people. The greatest menace to Jews throughout history has been Judaism, not Catholic, Catholicism or Islam. And, in fact, without Judaism, there is no Roman Catholicism and there is no Islam. Uh, so... Just because Yahweh is interested in his people over all others, and just because Judaism is the greatest threat to his people and his relationship with his people, is why he focuses on it. But that does not exonerate Christianity or Islam. He has an enormous amount to say about Christianity, and it's all bad. He has an enormous amount to say about Islam, and it's all bad. And for those that are listening, perhaps for the first time, and they said, you're being unfairly critical of Jews, I'm telling you what Yahweh says. If you don't like what Yahweh says, don't blame me. But to be fair, go and read the four volumes of Questioning Paul. Go read the thousand pages of Quran and Hadith analysis that is found in Prophet of Doom which exposes and condemns Islam. God is an equal opportunity hater when it comes to religion. And so we do what he requests. We expose and condemn the things that he hates. Now, this indictment that I've just shared with you from Hosha 1, 2, and 3 is universal. The men have been condemned as prostitutes, and now the women are being called whores. Israelites have been disinherited and divorced. And the cause of her infidelity, the affair which has robbed Jews of Yahweh's mercy, is Judaism. Israel has become an infertile womb, a nation of miscarriages, of aborted souls precluded from reaching their potential. Their affliction has become so pervasive, even a mother's nurturing milk was now toxic. Rather than nurturing her children, upon her bosom, her breasts now are nothing more than bait used to trap the next lover. 
Religion is insidious, especially Judaism, because it affects every aspect of the people's lives, from what they say to what they do, from what they consume to what they believe, influencing their education, their disposition, and their professions. As is the case with such things, they must be exposed and condemned for the people to heal. Yahweh is doing both, as are we. Religion is fatal. Bad enough, long enough, God will eventually tire and give up, disinheriting and divorcing even his own people, which he's going to announce that he is doing here in Hosha. And that divorce would be very, very long. God's estrangement for his, from his people, in fact, from everyone, would last 2,500 years. It was 2,500 years between the time that Yahweh would speak through his last prophet, Malachi, to the time that he would encourage a witness to make the message of his prophets available to his people in a way they might understand. 2,500 years is a long time for God to have to give up on his own. According to Yahweh, a child's fate can be linked to their parents' beliefs and their allegiances. If a mother is a religious whore, chances are her children will be similarly unfaithful, immoral, and idolatrous. A heredity mother will beget ultra-Orthodox children. Just as a Muslim mother will breed jihadists, this is the reason Yahweh didn't remove the children before the flood cleansed Mesopotamia. He didn't protect them from the brimstone that incinerated Solom, nor did he take them out of the Lord Baal-worshipping Canaanite towns the Israelites conquered. He is asking the six individuals that he is mustering to judge his people during the last days to remove all of those who still profess their religion or their politics from the smallest and the youngest to the greatest and oldest. Rats breed vermin, not mercats. The fourth verse of Hosea's second chapter opens with a verdict some might find troubling. And so, with regard to her children, I will be neither loving nor compassionate, neither merciful nor kind, because they are the children of their religious infidelity, their feigned love, and of seeking to profit from being disingenuous. It should be obvious that their mother is unfaithful and acts like a religious prostitute. She conceived them, should be ashamed and humiliated. This is because she conceived, or she conveyed her intent, saying to herself, I have chosen to continually go after what I desire from my closest and most intimate familiar relationships, which provide my bread, my water, my wool, my linen, my olive oil, and my drink. Yes, when um, I translated the 
statement in Daniel, uh, not Ezekiel, I believe it was chapter 9, where Yahweh was telling these uh, six um, individuals to, uh, mm-hmm. to, without pity, without remorse, without mercy, to end the lives of everyone who isn't wearing the Messiah's mark. Uh, one of the things that I, uh, I said is that uh, you know, look at the statement that Yahweh etched in stone, the, in particular, the second statement, where God said he was going to do this very thing, and that those who are, are spared will be those who observe the terms and conditions of the covenant. Here in Hosha, he is saying exactly the same thing. This has been available for 2,500 years. If you're not willing to read it, then you don't care enough about the fate of your children for them to live. If you want your children spared, read it, pay attention, act accordingly. You still have time. Do the right thing. If if you are among the few who understand Yahweh, respect him, acknowledge his name, you have accepted the terms and conditions of the covenant, you attend the Moed Mikre, then if you do have a child, even in this late time, that child is going to benefit from your participation in the covenant. They are grandfathered in, if we were to use that phrase. But if you're religious, if you're agnostic, if you're progressive, this is the worst time to be having children. They won't grow old enough to make their own choice, and their choices will be imposed upon them by their parents, who didn't bother to consider what Yahweh had to say. God is communicating in first person in this statement that we've just read in Hosha. To the people he not only created, but to those he chose to enrich, to liberate, to educate, to empower, indeed to save. This is his assessment after having experienced their lack of gratitude and having suffered their obnoxious religion. Yahweh had endured 60 generations after Jacob, each unlovable, and he had witnessed 140 more before the problem was resolved to reconcile his relationship with them. When Yahweh asked Moshe, to go with him to liberate the children of Israel from the worst slavery probably humans had ever experienced. 400 years of it in Egypt. Moshe said, I don't want to do that. And we know the reason he didn't want to do that. He had tried to save Israelites. And what he received in return was for those he tried to save to mock him and threaten him. So we knew... Listen, the Egyptians are bad. The religion is horrible. Their uh, caste system is horrible. The way they treat slaves is horrible. Uh, their politics is horrible. Everything about them is bad. I, I'm with you on that, and I'm with you on the fact that they're uh, abusing the Hebrews. God. But, God, I, I don't want to go do that. I, I've been there. I, I did that, and it did not work out well. Yahweh didn't experience any better. In fact, Yahweh was treated worse than Moshe. I mean, 
he hadn't even re- finished revealing the Torah. They had barely made it to across the Gulf of Aqaba. They were days, if not hours, from having been saved by God drowning the pursuing Egyptian army in the Red Sea. And they were already becoming religious. Aaron leading the parade, building a golden calf, uh, symbolic of the Apis the bull cult that was so famous among the priests and the pharaohs in Egypt. They didn't last a day. We studied the story of the waters at Meribah, where they were repulsive. We read the story about Caleb and, and how he and, and Yeshua were the only two people that spoke in favor of Yahweh when the rest of the Israelites said, yeah, we don't want to be with you anymore. We don't, know, we don't want to be with Yahweh anymore. We want to go back and be slaves in Egypt. They started off terrible, and they didn't get any better. God had had his up to his eyeballs with them. Then when they, they became a, a kingdom, they started off picking Shaul. He said every which way how that was going to turn out bad for them. It did. So God said, listen, this is what you want. I'm going to give you a good example. The best man who ever lived. Flawed as he was, he was the best among us, Toad. He reigned for 40 years. But then look what happened. Solomon. I'm not sure he made it five years before he uh, became a pagan. It was awful. Israel wouldn't survive. And from there it was divided and bickering and at war with itself and war with God. And soon the Assyrians would uh, take 10 of the 12 tribes off into slavery. And then not long after that, the Babylonians would come and take what was left of Yehuda. It never got any better. It's still not any better. Jews, you should be embarrassed. And why not, after all of this time, change? If God continues to besmirch your religion, why are you continuing to be religious? God's diagnosis is that his people had contracted an acute and fatal case of Zana. Their religious infidelity was killing them. Masking the symptoms by being disingenuous was not fooling anyone, especially God. It was obvious. Life for Jews had become a charade, as they even feigned their devotion to God, even to this day. Imagine all of the work, all of the pretending, the many prayers and rituals, and it was all for naught. It didn't please God, it antagonized him. Judaism is so inappropriate and so disingenuous, the people should have been ashamed of what they had done to antagonize Yahweh. Then to make matters worse, God is saying that the Jewish women do not even love their husbands. 
Even in marriage, they are prostitutes, trading the pretense of affection for food and shelter, with their womb having become a commodity to barter. Jewish women are not only unlovable, they are unloving. If you don't like that assessment, change. The list of things Yahweh articulates as significant, bread and water, are necessary to keep us alive, temporarily sustaining our mortal bodies. Wool and linen are woven into clothing and provide a covering to hide our imperfections. That is why God told these women their infidelity would be exposed. Olive oil and drink are spiritual references and that oil represents Yahweh's spirit and pure light while drinking wine is symbolic of celebrating Chagmatha. We have said it and now so has God. The religious are not welcome in heaven. Salvation is not part of the discussion in Judaism because there's no means to salvation for the religious. Likewise, in response, behold, I will guard and restrain and I will block hedging up that which is associated with your path, doing so with thorns. I will erect a stone wall to block her progress so that her way of life will be inescapable of discovering it. So she will pursue and annoy her most intimate lovers and passionate desires, but she will not achieve what she is chasing after. She shall seek them and will conspire with them, but she will not prevail. Then she will say, I will go and reverse course, returning to my initial husband and formal man, because it was better and more productive and beneficial for me than it is now. But she did not know that I gave to her, providing for her the grain, the new wine, and the olive oil, in addition to having greatly increased her silver and gold, which they assigned to the Lord Baal. God's not happy. He has done everything imaginable for his people. He's honored his promises to them. He has met with them, spoken directly to them, provided his Torah guidance for them, liberated them from slavery, fulfilled his promises to enable the benefits of the covenant through the first four Mikre, provided them with a thousand years of prophets. And what have they done? Spit in his face. This is the kind of statement the religious find inconceivable. Rather than God showing them the way and welcoming them with open arms, Yahweh is preventing the religious from getting anywhere near heaven. The way he has provided is off limits to them. It is an interesting realization that God is actually blocking the way of Jews to to know him and to heaven. He has blinded them. And he did so because he could not reason with them. He could not communicate with them. They would not listen to him. And so, left to their own devices, if they 
were able to understand who he was and what he was offering, they would so besmirch his name and his invitations and his covenant and his Torah as to destroy their credibility. So God was left with no choice but to say, no, you're not getting anywhere near the things that matter to me. I'm going to hedge up the way. It was the only way to protect them from Jews destroying them. There is a reason you don't ever see Yahweh's name associated with Judaism. God doesn't want it associated with Judaism. There's a reason that rabbis quote rabbis rather than Yahweh. God doesn't want them quoting him. There's a reason that Shabbat writes of the Magog War uh, saying nothing but nonsense. They're clueless. And it's designed to be that way. There's a reason that Jews will religiously observe the rabbi's version of Pesach, Passover, and not recognize that everything that they are requesting, everything that they are ordaining, has a pagan religious past. That nothing has anything to do with Yahweh's instructions. God despises religion, and the last thing he wants is a religious person in heaven. He has no interest in saving everyone. Quite the opposite. He is deliberately precluding the majority, the vast majority of people, everyone who is religious, from walking along the path he has provided to eternal life. He isn't being unfair. He isn't being unkind. Instead, just being merciful. He is the only moral, his is the only moral and rational choice. I'm telling you that if God did not put this filter in, this fence in, did not blind the religious among his people, uh, then heaven would be as disgusting as is hell. So let's be clear. God isn't just making the way difficult to find. He is deliberately blocking it. He is erecting a pre preventative barrier to shut the religious out of heaven. He has accomplished this in such a way that the faithful will find it painful to approach. There isn't a Christian on the planet that knows what to do with the terms and conditions of the covenant or with any of the seven Moed Mikre, nor a Jew, nor a Muslim. They can't even tolerate the lone prerequisite to being part of the covenant, which is to walk away from Babel, from religion and politics. It's painful for them to even approach it, much less walk down that way. So it's hidden. God blockaded the approach to him. Now, the blockade here is not temporary, but it is not of stone either. It is hidden in the one place Yahweh can be assured the religious will never find it. <laughs> right in the midst of his rebuke of them. 
God offered his people <clears throat> the covenant and all the benefits associated with it. They rejected his offer. He introduced them to himself. He saved them. He enlightened them. He enriched them with their land. But they repeatedly withdrew, preferring the company of false gods and to being religious. Yeah, what was it going to force them to be part of his family? So he let them go. Then he blocked the path back home, lest they corrupt it and take everything he had offered them. Wow. Prior to Yada Yahweh, I am unaware of any Jewish man or woman who had come to accept Yahweh or who had chosen to participate in his covenant family. Today, that number is small, but it's growing. And it will continue to increase between now and Kippurim in year 6,000 Yah, when the last decision will have been made. To their own devices, Jewish women will do as they have always done. They're going to seek the support of men who do not love them any more than they deserve to be loved. They're not alone in this regard. It is the biggest blight of every religious marriage. Of such women, Yahweh writes, she will pursue her desires and annoy her lovers, chasing after and harassing them. But it will never be satisfying, and she will never prevail, knowing in the end that it was all for naught. You know, it's an interesting thing that in um, religions, there's Mm -hmm. always a marriage vow. You're always making promises in front of the imaginary religious God. But with Yahweh, there is no marriage vow. There's none. Uh, You're married when you act married. When you live in the same home. When you don't want to be married, you write a nice letter and say, uh, you know, it's been nice, but not that nice. This is why. I don't want to be married to you anymore, and here's the reasons why. And then you go your own way. This idea of staying married and being miserable and uh, and dragging each other down is a religious notion. Uh, It's the same thing with God. God says, I don't want to force you to love me. I'm not going to compel you to be part of my covenant. If you don't want to be part of it, go away. That's okay. That's your choice. If you want to be with me, wonderful. We'll have a great time. But if you don't, that's, that's your choice. I'm not going to force you. For generations of Jews, there is no going back. The gifts that Yahweh has offered have been squandered. For thousands of years, Jews have given their Lord, Baal, the gifts God had given to them, including their place in his plans their liberty, and their souls. It isn't that Gentiles are any better. In fact, Jews inherited their affinity for Baal, the Lord, from them. He remains the God of Christianity and Islam. In this passage, uh, gate or stone was used figuratively in Yaqetz el Ezekiel 13 to renounce false prophets. There, the wall of stones is both symbolic and ironic. Uh, the promises of protection only serve to crush the deceived, the consequence of every religion. Concerning Gator, 
Yahweh spoke these words to Yaketzel Ezekiel, warning the people about trusting the inspiration of religious men. Then the word of Yahweh came to me, saying, Son of man, actually son of Adam, prophesy against the prophets of Israel, and who prophesy from their own inclinations. Listen to the word of Yahweh. What a wonderful start. Mm-hmm. Speak against the prophets of Israel. So the prophets of Israel are the religious, particularly the rabbis. So speak the word of God against those who are speaking the words of Israelis, who are speaking of their own inclinations. The Talmud said, listen to Yahweh. Thus says Yahweh, woe to the stupid and insolent prophets who are following after their spirit, which would be Satan, and have not seen anything. Yisrael, your prophets are like jackals within the ruins. You have not ascended into the breach to find what is deficient, nor built a wall of stones around the house of Yisrael, which will stand up or endure the battle in the day of Yahweh. Beware. They have seen vain and worthless visions, which are fraudulent, deceptive omens, and outright delusional predictions. They will claim, this is the prophetic announcement of Yahweh, whom they call Hashem, when Yahweh has not reached out to them, and yet they linger and wait, expecting their statements to materialize. It, is it not a fabricated and vain revelation? that you were envisioning, a misleading and deceptive form of fortune-telling being proclaimed when you have said, this is a prophetic announcement of Yahweh, even though I have not spoken. As a result, thus says Yahweh, because you have spoken falsely and vainly and are lying about receiving prophecies, it stands to reason the attentive will realize that I am against you. Prophetically reveals Yahweh. My hand will be against the prophets who claim to see these worthless visions and who have these delusional predictions. My people will cease to exist in their conspiracy. Should they consider or trust their counsel such that they will no longer be written in the book of the family of those who engage and endure with God? because they are excluded from entering the realm of Yisrael. Therefore, you should know and acknowledge that indeed I am Yahweh. The express reason that they have misled my people, saying, Shalom, reconciliation, when the relationship has not been restored. It is because they endeavor to build an inner wall which separates and divides, And then, behold, they plaster over it, adding a whitewash of worthless and invalid notions. Say to those who smear and plaster over, who whitewash with meceding foolishness, it will collapse and fall. A deluge resulting in overwhelming and overpowering flood will come to exist because of you, along with a destructive storm which will result in the likes of stones falling from the sky, along with a divisive spiritual tempest. 
then behold, when these divisive barriers crumble and fall, be said of you, where's the whitewashed coating which you apply to plaster it over? Therefore, as a consequence, this is what Yahweh says, and my righteous indignation and kindled animosity, I will cause the spirit to blow, splitting this open and tearing it apart. And then there will be a deluge, resulting in an overwhelming and an overpowering flood due to my resentment. A destructive storm of stones will convey my extreme displeasure and result in complete destruction and total annihilation in the end. So therefore, I will destroy, tearing down and demolishing this divisive barrier that you have smeared and plastered over, whitewashing it with unsavory, invalid, and worthless notions. I will strike it to the ground so that its foundations and very basis the purpose of having constructed it is exposed and made known. And then when it collapses and falls, you will be finished, perishing in the middle of it. So then you will know at that moment that indeed I am Yahweh. Yaketel Ezekiel 13, 1 through 14. You know, you don't have to analyze Ezekiel 38 and come to understand who the players are in the Magog War because there's a war that is being fought in Israel between God's people that is far more prevalent, far more lethal, far more hazardous to God's people. The combatants are rabbis. They are the ones who are plastering over and whitewashing Yahweh's Torah teachings. And if you want to know what's going to happen, God's going to put an end to them. He is going to collapse their facade and have it come crumbling down. And if you are anywhere near them, you will be caught up in, the, in that wall as it collapses. This is as good a time as any to reject Judaism to de- reject this absurd bind of positions of power in the parliamentary system of an unconstitutional state in Israel. God loves his people. He is ultimately going to reconcile his relationship with them, but only with those who have disavowed religion and politics. Be among the first. If you leave religion and politics now. If you take the time to read what has taken us 21 years prepare for you in the Yada Yahweh series, if you were to read it now, disavow religion and politics, and join the covenant family, particularly as a Yehudim, just think of how many more will be celebrating along with you when Yahweh returns with Dod on the Day of Reconciliations, Yom Kippurim, year 6000 Yah, October 2nd, at sundown in Jerusalem. Not only will you be among them if you make this choice today, but 
so will your children. So will some of your parents. So will some of your friends. So will your brethren. Continue to vote ourselves. Dee does with her social media outreach. Um, Kirk, you do with your, uh, your research, particularly in the ancient alphabet and your participation in this program. I do every day with my translations and contributions to the Yada Iowa series. Our goal is to awaken and to save as many Israelites as possible. And even uh, Goyim who are willing to listen along the way. We want Yahweh to be pleased with the quality and quantity of the people who attend Yom Kippurim and year 6,000 Yah. It is just 11 years from now. That number is way below what I would think is his expectation today. And see, we will devote every waking hour to doing our part, to communicating his message, so that more of you who are listening will forego your religion, will forego your politics, and will come to know Yahweh, acknowledge his name, embrace the terms and conditions of the covenant, and attend his Moed Mikre, knowing what they represent. Everything that you need to know is in these books. Go to yadayah.com. Pull the first book off the shelf. It's called An Introduction to God. It's volume one of three volumes of An Introduction to God and begin reading. You'll learn why you, why me. By the time you've finished The Introduction to God, you'll understand the Hebrew language better than you could ever have imagined You'll understand exactly who Yahweh is. You will know for certain that he exists. You will appreciate what he is offering us and what he is asking in return. By the time you have finished the first three volumes, you will understand his role in our Genesis. You will understand exactly what happened in the Garden of Eden and why it's important, because that's where we are returning. You will understand why God caused the flood in uh, that region of Mesopotamia at that time. You'll find proof of it occurring exactly as he said. You will understand how he chose and why he chose to establish the covenant with Abraham. Why his first request of Abraham was to continue to walk away from his country, from Babylon, from the birthplace of institutionalized and integrated religion and politics. You'll come to know each of the five things Yahweh asked of Abraham and appreciate the five things that he offered to him as the conditions and the benefits of the covenant, all presented for you in great detail in volume three of Yada Yahweh. And as you read on in volumes 4, 5, and 6, you will come to appreciate each of the seven Moed Mikre, how this path prepares us to live eternally, perfected, Yahweh's sons and daughters, enriched and empowered, so that even as we have these 11 years left 
to share his message, we can be effective troubadours. So that Yahweh is not disappointed. So that we're not disappointed. Come Yom Kippurim. Yeah, as I was reading the end of that passage in Yaketzel, where Dode was orchestrating six individuals to carry out Yahweh's instructions. When Dode returned to Yahweh after doing it, all he said was, we have accomplished what you have asked. Wow. What a wonderful conclusion to a life. It would be our great honor to be able to tell Yahweh was he is celebrating Yom Kippurim with his family. We can say we accomplished what you had instructed. Uh, that is a life well lived. And it isn't just a life for us to live. It's a life for you to live. Walk away from the great toxin of religion, the misleading nature of politics. Stop relying on human traditions and customs. Come to embrace Yahweh. Get to know him. Trust him. Rely on him. Learn who he is, what he is offering. And then join us. Become yet another voice. Uh, there's a remarkable low woman who is um, uh, the backbone of a lot of what we achieve. Um, and uh, I was um, having an exchange with her where uh, I was trying to convey just how valuable she is uh, to Yahweh's yeah, desire, really, to convey his, uh, his message to his people. You're giggling, Dee, because I cc'd you after asking her permission to share the letter. <laughs> and, yes. uh, and she was uh, arguing with me in a very nice way, saying, no, you're wrong. Um, I told her that I get too much credit for what I do, and she gets too little for what she does, because uh, I would be only a fraction as effective if she wasn't orchestrating so many marvelous things behind the scenes, doing such a wonderful job of it. And her ultimate retort to me was to send me a picture of her marvelous family and how her children and her grandchildren are now covenant. And they're covenant because oh. of what we have learned together. And it is the most beautiful picture I think I've ever seen. It is, it is exactly what... Eden looks like to Yahweh uh, post his return on Kippurim as we celebrate a thousand years of Sukkah. His view of us is exactly what this, these bright and happy children look like celebrating in the backyard on their swing set. And she says, you know, these children, my children, my grandchildren are, are in the covenant because of what we have learned. Uh, so no, you don't get too little credit. And and I realized that, that it is by working through a family like this and us working in harmony and us all making a contribution that Yahweh's message is getting out and is resonating with his people. The, the website at yadayad.com is, is beautiful. It is, uh, it is so exceedingly informative and functional. It works on every possible platform. Our social... Media outreach, so long as 
we can keep uh, uh, Elon Musk in, uh, in money is marvelous as well, full of <laughs> tremendous content. The, the books are beautiful that are available yeah. through uh, the uh, Amazon uh, store. We're doing our part as a family so that you can join us, be part of Yahweh's covenant. We don't solicit money. We wouldn't take a donation if you offered it to us. We don't make any money on anything. But we love what we do. And we would be thrilled if you would join us. Uh, Not only because of what it will do to enhance Yahweh's family, but also because for each of you that join, there is yet another witness then who can convey... Yahweh's covenant message to his family so that there's a more joyous reunion on Yom Kippur. We want as few as possible to suffer the fate that is forecast for the religious and political upon Yahweh's return. And we want as many as possible, all the willing to listen, to embrace the Messiah's mark. And the Messiah's mark isn't given to those who are good. It isn't given to those who donate lots of money. It isn't given to those who pray a lot. It uh, isn't uh, given to those who are who are perfect as it relates to their behavior. No, it's it's afforded based on a single criterion. Are you disgusted? by religion and politics? Are you so repulsed by religion and politics that you make it known that you're not afraid to say so? Because that's the lone criterion for wearing the Messiah's mark. Now that's something to think about, isn't it? That's how much God hates religion. How the one thing that will separate the few who will survive and the many who will die is their disgust for religion. So we'll leave you with that thought. We uh, thank you, uh, Dee, for uh, promoting us and uh, and Twitter and keeping uh, Elon Musk uh, uh, in... And money another day, uh, yep. Kirk, for being here with your uh, pleasure. Uh, yes, your wholesome blues uh, voice and Johnny Cash. I walk the line. Very sexy. <laughs> tell us, tell us some more. Uh, can you sing some Johnny Cash? <laughs> no, there. Uh, for those that don't know, uh, um, Kirk has one foot in uh, in Folsom, uh, and by his voice, can't seem to get out of it. And another now in uh, in Carmel, where he is living the life in one of the prettiest places in uh, in all the world. Uh, he's also oh, yeah. found out that that as you're uh, if you're no longer in your uh, 20s and 30s, <laughs> moving is hard. And so, <laughs> so I think he's he's got this uh, froggy voice because his body is saying, "I'm I'm too old quit, for this." Quit, yeah. So anyway, we're we're looking forward to you getting uh, all settled in, and I understand 
Thank you you. Uh, and your bride are going to take a, a long walk tomorrow and, and uh, go to the beach. And maybe uh, when you go to the beach, you'll take a quick right and take a peek up at the, uh, the 10th and 11th Pebble holes beach, yeah. at Pebble Beach uh, Golf yeah. Links uh, and enjoy the, the beautiful view of the, uh, the California coast, even if it is uh, minus 50 this time of year and you need to wear your parka. <laughs> But uh, thank you, Radeen, for being part of the program. We uh, look forward to being with you this time next week. We'll start uh, back in uh, the book of, uh, of Hosha and return to uh, God. One of God's most revealing prophetic pronouncements because the entire book is devoted to a singular theme. God divorcing himself of his people because of their propensity to be religious and finally, reuniting, uh, reuniting with them as a result of their willingness to forego their religion. It is uh, one of the tales that the religious don't want to hear, but God wants you to know. May Yah bless. Look yeah. forward to being with you this time next week. Uh, good night, uh, John. Good night, and, uh, good night Dave. <laughs> good night, guys. Oh, good night. <laughs> good night, Dave. Night. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.